So I'm Anthony. I'm a uh, intern here at Grace. I'm an intern here at Grace Bible Church, and I'm specifically interning here with Crosslight. And um, yeah, tonight I get to teach on the discipline of time. So if you're new here, let me get you caught up. We've been going on through a series called Discipline and Dependence, and this kind of stems out of the idea in Colossians where it says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is working in you. And we've covered a multitude of topics, and which have, include pure, have included uh, discipline of purity, the discipline of fellowship, uh, the discipline of the mind, and even the discipline of speech. And if you want to listen to those, those are on the Grace Bible Church app, and I would highly recommend checking those out. Yeah. So today, like I said, I have the privilege of speaking on the discipline of time, how we as believers are to view time, and how we are to use time. And if you're like me, you need to be reminded of certain truths that aren't necessarily the most profound on the surface level, but they're still so essential for our walk. And on this occasion, we need to be reminded of a proper perspective on time. So we'll be answering questions. Questions like, why does it matter how I use my time? Does having a proper perspective really affect me? How can I even use my time well in the first place? And why can't I just live however I want? But before we get started, why don't we open a prayer? Dear God, I just want to come before you and... Uh, God, I just pray, Lord, that we're just applying these topics, God, whether it be the discipline of the mind or the tongue, and even tonight's lesson on the discipline of time, God, that we would just be applying them to our lives and teaching others as well, and God, that we wouldn't be, as James says, merely hearers of the word, but we'd be doers. And so, God, may you use us in that way and to that end and ultimately for your glory. Lord, we love you and we want to be pleasing in everything we do. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, great. So, when answering these questions like, why should I even use my time well in the first place? We're going to be doing a sweeping review of Scripture. We're going to be in both the New Testament and the Old Testament. And my goal for you at the end of this talk is that you guys have a greater sense of urgency as well as a better view on why you should be using your time well. So with all that as introduction, why don't we turn to James 4. And James is near the end of your New Testament. And James is also writing to the uh, first century church. These Christians had been dispersed by persecution. Um, and in the section that we're going to be looking at in particular, he's actually even writing to the, the merchants of that time that were dealing in the Mediterranean area. And all throughout James, we actually even see that James is exhorting believers to act like believers. They were claiming it, and he's encouraging them, well then do it. And so because of this, James feels like he needs to stir these people up. If they're going to claim it, they had to be doing it. And so why don't we start in verse 13. 
Verse 13, chapter 4. Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town, and spend a year there, and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. So in this passage we see a picture of men planning. They're looking ahead, wanting to make a profit, and, and they're, but they're ultimately they're leaving God out of the picture. And that's what James is pointing out. He's pointing out these men are living in sin. They've made all these plans, but they left one thing out. God. They've put him to the side. These merchants have devoted themselves to their trade. They've given every moment of every day to their business. And so much so that they've planned not just months, but as the passage says, years. They want to become successful. They want to become wealthy. And they're going to do anything to get on top. And they're going to take however much time they need in order to do this. Can you guys see that this is a man-centered view of time? They've taken God's resource, which he has freely bestowed on them, and they're using it for their own selfish gain, for their own selfish pur pur uh, purpose. And so I actually want to know, what does God have to actually say about this? Why don't we look back down our Bible, verse 16. As it is, you boast in your arrogance, and all such boasting is evil. It is sin. God looks at this and he says, disgust. I look at this with disdain. And the same thing goes with you guys, and as well as me. When God has given something so freely, yet we use it so flippantly, we're disrespecting him, we're disrespecting our creator. He's given this this precious resource, in order that we might use it for a good purpose. And God values your time so much that even as this passage says, it's evil when we don't use it for Him. When you're not honoring God in your time, when you're not giving everything to Him, whether it's eating, sleeping, drinking, whatever it might be, you're probably in sin. It reminds me even the parable of the talents. What does the master say to the servant who squandered that one resource? You evil, wicked slave. And then what's he do? He casts him into the pit of hell. And you even get the sense in that parable that if the slave would have even tried, that the master probably would have approved. But the, but the slave, what did he do? He just hid it, and he didn't do anything with it. And so the point here is, is that God doesn't just give us our resource so we can do nothing with it. It's our duty that we use this precious gift of God. So when you're wasting your time, when you're twiddling your thumbs, when you're just sitting on the couch, you're not wasting God's time, you're, wa or you're not wasting God's time. You're not wasting your time. 
Man, I ruined my point. You're wasting God's time! There we go. So when we're looking at this, it's apparent that it's not only uh, that we're wasting our time, it's we're wasting God's time. We can do this as Christians. We spend our time doing things for the kingdom that don't really matter, that really only benefit ourselves, and then for not for Him. We have our own agenda, and we're so caught up in it that we wouldn't even care to examine what we're doing with it. So for a further explanation of this, why don't we turn over to Psalm 90. Psalm 90 was uh, written probably during the wilderness wanderings of the children of Israel. And Moses is actually the writer of this psalm. And Moses just, is just reflecting on the brevity of man, so the shortness of man, as well as the eternality of God. And so I'll start in verse 1 and we'll go to verse 4. A prayer of Moses, the man of God. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You return man to dust and say, Return, O children of man. For a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night. He says that God is used a thousand years as a watch in the night. And then later on in verse 5, we see that he views man as grass. As something that grows up quickly and then is immediately swept away. This even reminds me of our passage back in James 4. We are but a vapor. And just as you breathe out in winter, it's gone. That's you. God is from everlasting to everlasting, but you, you were here for a second and gone the next. And so this view of God, it affects how we deal with time and how we see time. It helps you understand that you are only given a certain amount of time. It is God who allots it. He is the one that ultimately even constrains it. And just as the psalmist says in verse 3, he brings you forth, and he sends you away. And this is a God-centered view of time. Every second that you're alive is because God is causing you to be alive. Hmm. Is this precious to you? That is God, he is sustaining you every moment of every day. It should be precious. Jonathan Edwards says this regarding time and the preciousness of it. How little is the preciousness of time considered, and how little sense of it do the greater part of mankind seem to have, and to how to or and how and to how little good purposes do many spend their time. There's nothing more precious yet, yet nothing more prodigal of men of which men use. Time is with many as silver was in the days of Solomon, as stones on the street and nothing to be accounted of. They act as if it were plenty as silver was then, and as if it had a great and as if they had a great deal more than they actually even needed, and they knew not what to do with it. If men were as lavish of their money as they were of their time, 
If it were as common a thing for them to throw away their money as they were throwing away their time, we would think them beside themselves and, and, not, and, and not in right position, uh, possession of their minds. Yet time is a thousand times more precious than money. And when it is gone, it cannot be purchased for money, and it cannot be redeemed with silver or gold. This just perfectly bleeds right to our next verse, verse 12. So teach us to number our days, that we may gain a heart of wisdom. So look what Moses says. God, when I understand my brevity as a man, when I understand its shortness, I want to live my life well, God. I want to live in a wise way. That everything within me, God, every moment of every day, Lord, that it would be for you. Lord, you are eternal and you have made me this, you've given me this much time, but I want every second of this much time to be for you. I want everything within me to please you. So if you will, this is the why and why do we use our time well. We want to please God. We want to give everything we have to God. When God is at the center of your time, you don't have a moment to lose. When you understand that you're not here long, you need to make the most of it. This is the foundation. This is the thrusting force into how you're going to even use your time well in the first place. Time? Well, it can be used for a means of godliness, or it can be, be used as a means of ruin or destruction. It's not an end unto itself, but it is merely the tool by which you're going to make things happen. Edward, Edwards, again, concerning this Consider how time is sometimes valued by those who come near to the end of it. What a sense of preciousness have poor sinners sometimes when they are on their deathbeds. Such have cried out, Oh, for a thousand, oh, a thousand worlds for an inch of time. Then it appears indeed precious. However, an inch of time could do them no more good than before. But near the end, or but the but the near approach of death makes men sensible of the inestimable worth of time. Perhaps when they were in health, they were as sensible of its value as you are, and were just as negligent. It is not because they are deceived that they that they now think of time of such value, but it's because their eyes are opened. And it is because you are deceived and blind that you do not think of it as you do. <clears throat> so we pay no mind into thinking how we use our time and how it will ultimately even affect our future. We don't think of it in, in such a high esteem. And so what we end up doing, we end up throwing it away. We use it on worthless things. Then when we come to the end of our lives, what do we do? Oh, for another inch. Having time never did anything for anyone. It was only how someone would use it that would ultimately determine the worth in that person's life. 
It could either be used to benefit a person or it could be used to improve them or ultimately just even lead them into ruin. It is one of the most precious gifts that God can give us and eternity even rests on how we handle it. And I'm not talking about that we can somehow earn God's favor by, by working and pleasing God. I'm talking about repentance. We're only given so much time to repent. And specifically for the unbeliever. The unbeliever only has so much time and God has his grip closing in before that day is up. I mean, what does the Corinthians say? What does it say in Corinthians? Today is the day of salvation. God and his patience may be giving us extra time to repent. And this applies both to the believer as well as the unbeliever. So if we see it in this way, if we, if we see as time as precious as another chance of repentance, we're ultimately going to use it in the best way possible. And so I want to take a quick look at yeah, I want to take a quick look at the ways we use our time. So we went over the why, so why do we use our time well? So now let's hit the how. How are we going to use our time well? Turn with, turn with me to Proverbs. So right after Psalms, and we're going to be in Proverbs 10 just to start out. And I might go quick, so sorry. So Proverbs is chocked full of practical wisdom on how to deal with this topic specifically. I mean, it has huge themes. It talks about the sluggard, the diligent, the slothful, those who waste their possessions. And one of the huge themes is actually sloth and idleness. And uh, yeah, it's a great place for you guys to even, if you read through, just highlight those. What I want to do is actually just take a quick look at some of the funny ones. So, <laughs> yeah. So why don't we start in uh, chapter 10, verse 26. Like vinegar to the teeth and smoke to the eyes, so the sluggard is those to send that send him. Amen? <laughs> I mean, it's almost painful to work with someone that just dilly-dallies, isn't it? You send them to go get the hammer, and then they come back an hour later. It's like, oh man, just get, get it done. Go do it, come back, and we're going to work on the next thing. But you're just squandering it. You're just... I mean, it's just, that's what it is. That's the way they do it. And that's the sluggard. Let's look at the next one. Proverbs 19, verse 24. 1924. The sluggard buries his hand in the dish. It will not bring it back to his mouth. So picture this. Guy comes up to the dinner table, goes to grab the biscuit. <laughs> I just can't even do this right now. <laughs> I'm such, I'm so lazy, you know. That, that's what the sluggard is. That's the way it's painting the sluggard. Oh man, pretty silly. And let's flip over to the next one. Proverbs twenty six thirteen. Twenty six thirteen. The sluggard says, "There is a lion in the road." There is a lion in the streets. No one laughed. It's okay. 
<laughs> so at first it might seem a little bit confusing, but all this shows is that, man, this guy's making, the sluggard makes excuses, doesn't he? The slothful make excuses. It's like, uh, I mean, another way this guy could have said it, instead of saying, there's a line in the road, he could have been like, I can't go out there, I might get hurt. You don't understand, I might, I might bruise a knee. Or even putting this into the 21st century, it'd be like someone saying, you know, I know I should be working right now, but i got to finish this Facebook message. I can't read books, I don't have enough time. <laughs> or here are a few excuses I actually hear. I don't have time to read my Bible. I don't have time to meet up with a guy and maybe disciple him. I can't be involved in Bible study because I got work. Anthony, you don't understand. I can't be involved in Bible study right now because I got class. And, well, then make another one. Go to another Bible study. That's often what I want to say. But people are so, they have their priorities mixed up. They're so negligent of how they're using their time that they, they don't want even try to. They won't even try to use their time well and even pick one study. Am I being legalistic? I don't think so. I'm just wanting to encourage people to use their time well, to ultimately I mean, give it all to the glory of God, not be so caught up on the things that are right before them that they ultimately miss the boat and miss the big picture. In Donald Whitney's book called Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life, he quotes Raymond Edmond, and he says, Ours is an undisciplined age. The old disciplines are breaking down. Above all, the discipline of divine grace is, is derided as legalism, or is entirely unknown to a generation that is largely illiterate in the scriptures. We need the rugged strength of Christian character that can only come from discipline. So give careful thought to what you're doing. Maybe it'd be a good rule of thumb for you to turn your phone off at nine. Or it might be even a better idea to start planning ahead and getting your studies done before Bible study, before the day of the test. Here's my one, here's my one hit punch. Maybe you were made for more than that 30 second enjoyment of the smartphone, you know. <laughs> you know that walk between classes where you have five minutes and you're still just chatting with that same person? Maybe you could be using that to redeem it and not just be playing on your smartphone, shooting another text to another friend, but that guy you're walking with, that gal you're walking with, talk to him about Jesus. Tell him about your risen Lord. Don't waste these little moments that you so often neglect. I'm pretty thoroughly convinced that it's far more telling of a person's spiritual maturity of how they use those little moments than how they use those big moments. I mean, I can read my Bible for an hour, but it takes constant discipline. If I'm going to use those 30-second increments to shoot up a quick prayer, to pray for that friend that I know is going through a hard time, So as we're wrapping up, I just want to consider one more passage, Colossians 4. So let's flip over to Colossians 4. 
Galatians, Ephesians, Colossians. And if you don't want to memorize that, you can memorize mine. Gentiles eat pork chops. <laughs> so, yeah. So Colossians 4. And we'll start in verse 5. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you know how you ought to answer each person. So Paul is writing his closing remarks to the Colossians, and he wants to give them one last exhortation. And this is it. In verses 2 through 4, we see that Paul is being persecuted for proclaiming the mysteries of Christ. And he's asking these believers to pray for him, that he might speak clearly the mystery of the gospel. And then his thoughts actually change right back onto those believers in Colossae. He desires that they act wisely, that they speak in a manner that is pleasing to God, that is seasoned with salt. So we could say, What's the best use of your time? Well, according to this passage, in verse 6, let your speech always be seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer each person. Don't waste those moments. Don't waste them. Regardless of how a believer ends up using his time, ultimately, he's going to end up with the Lord. Amen? Amen. sobering part of all this is that this isn't true for the unbeliever, is it? When the unbeliever dies, he doesn't just vanish. When the unbeliever dies, his time is up. When the unbeliever dies, he is on, he is under the judgment of God for the rest of eternity. He'll cry out for mercy. Oh God, have mercy. But it's too late, isn't it? So believer, act now. Use those moments. You don't know what kind of impact you can have in eternity. Should we pray? Oh God, we do just want to come before you, Lord, that we would be marked by using every moment for you. Lord, may we not squander it on our smartphones. Lord, may we not give ourselves to worthless things. But God, may we redeem every moment of time. Lord, for you, for your kingdom. God, that we might win even one person. Lord, though we witness to hundreds, Lord, may remind us of the preciousness of time. May we use every bit of it for you and for your kingdom. 
we love you. We offer up our lives to you. It's in Jesus' name.